Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Synergen Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management. So passionate, in fact, that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I speak with Yvette Cordy, who is the author of Cultivating Curiosity, How to Unearth Your Most Valuable Problem to Inspire Growth. Yvette is a human-centered designer who innovates and creates using a unique blend of curiosity and creativity anchored in the framework of creative problem-solving. As the Chief Investigator at Agents of Spring, she helps organizations curiously seek out and creatively solve their customers' most valuable problems, the problems that once solved create value for both consumers and organizations, the problems that motivates consumers to pay brands to solve. As a psychologist, she has the expertise to get to the heart of human motivation, to create an optimal creative environment, and to both energize and synergize teams. She believes that to unearth the right solutions, you must first find the right problems to solve, and she uses a collaborative four-stage process designed to unlock the creativity and curiosity of both internal and external stakeholders to ensure the best business outcomes are achieved. Now, during the course of the conversation, we explore Yvette's book in detail. Start off the interview by asking Yvette why did she decide to write this book? We speak about the value of finding customer problems and how to future-focus your outlook. We talk about how to challenge assumptions and ask the right questions. And I finish the interview by asking Yvette about the six curiosity mindsets and how they act as a valuable framework for promoting depth of thought. So keep listening. And as always, I'd really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with Yvette Cordy, author of Cultivating Curiosity. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Well, welcome, Yvette, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really happy that you've uh, taken the time to come out to Synergen HQ on this sunny day. For the listeners, can you let them know who is Yvette Corby? Ah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm a problem solver for organisations. So I use um, curiosity and creativity to collaboratively co-create solutions to solve their problems. So sometimes that's coaching, helping them be more curious, more creative, and sometimes it's um, specific problems or projects where I'm helping them use curiosity and creativity to solve those those problems for them. How did you find, I've got to ask, how did you find yourself doing that? How did you find yourself? I, I've always been fascinated by by people and why they do what they do. And I and I studied psychology, so I've got three degrees in psychology. Um, and, and that was for me really trying to understand people and, and what makes them tick. So um, I led it, that led me into a career in, in research. So I spent um, the last two decades really doing what I call deep curiosity work. So I've had the fortunate opportunity to travel the world. I've been to trailer parks in Florida, apartments in Madrid, elderly homes in Birmingham, villages in India, tier one through to tier four cities in China, stepping into people's homes, following them around, going shopping with them, understanding what truly matters to them. Um, 
And that, you know, that has been, whilst I've been working for clients and um, solving problems for them, that's been a, I've learned so much along the way, um, Mm. being able to do that kind of work. Okay. So we're here to talk about your book, uh, Cultivating Curiosity, How to Unearth the Most Valuable Problem to Inspire Growth. Why did you decide to write a book about this? I've always wanted to write a book and um, the book really was a culmination of that work I've been doing for the last 20 years. And I started to actually, I built out, I've developed six curiosity mindsets and I actually started to build out those mindsets and I was actually using them with clients. Um, The final sort of inspiration or spark for me came from um, I was in New York in the end of 2016 for Fast Companies Innovation Conference and I had the wonderful opportunity to meet um, CMOs, founders, entrepreneurs of big corporate sort of organisations as well as startups and the thing that kept coming up as the magical ingredient for their success was curiosity. So um, I'd be writing on my notebook, you know, curious, curiosity. Um, and so that was really the final spark for me. And the writing process started a couple of months later. So by the end of that conference, I had a working title for my book. I'd even, um, I'd, I, I'd grabbed a domain name that I thought was going to be my working title. Like I was, that, that was the inspiration that I was ready to go. Okay. And I'm always curious how long it takes people to write a book. How long did it take you? Um, I worked with a a wonderful editor who pushed me to write it sooner than I probably would have on my own. Um, So the writing process, I started on the 1st of of March that following year and writing probably finished by end of August. Wow. Um, But it was intense. It was really intense. So trying to work full time and write was trying to sneak in moments for writing was really challenging okay so just a bit under six months yeah wow three times faster than me three <laughs> times faster than me. i don't know if i'd do it that quickly again okay for my next book but mm. but it but i'm glad i did it because instead of being the person who hopes to write a book i've 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 got there i've got yeah. to cross the finish line yeah and you already got book number two in mind Yes, I've got a couple of ideas that I'm conceptualising at the moment. Yeah, it's a bit of an addiction, I reckon, a bit (laughs) of an addiction. So I want to start by uh, reading a bit of an excerpt from the book, uh, which really resonated with me when I uh, started to to get into it. There are hundreds, thousands of companies of all sizes all over the world spending millions of dollars implementing new ideas to address the wrong types of problems just so they can get ahead. Sure, in today's business world, it's important you stand out and stay ahead of your competition, but that is becoming increasingly harder to do, especially if you're a large organization that is not as agile as a smaller startup encroaching your space. You may be investing resources, effort, and money coming up with innovative ideas for business problems you don't really have. The real problem is that you might not be spending enough time understanding what your customer problem is. I think that resonated with me because we, in the work we do, we find that uh, a lot of organisations spend too much time focusing on the problem and not enough time on the solution. So, so how do how do businesses get to this point where they're understanding the customer problem? Um, so, really, part of it's about putting that attention and and recognizing that they've only got part of the puzzle. So um, 
organizations are great. You say, what's what's the problem we're trying to solve? Oh, we've got declining revenue, declining margins. Um, they're very good at articulating a number of business problems, uh, but they're not going to identify growth opportunities by just focus, focusing on those. So it's about recognizing that, um, you know, rather than jumping to a solution and saying, let's just come up with ideas to solve our business problem. Well, what? let's, let's be curious. Let's step outside of um, our business world and look at what our customer problems are. And I often talk about the sweet spot being between sitting between what's the business problem and what's the customer problem. And so if we can kind of find that sweet spot, it's going to benefit our customers and it's also going to benefit the organization. Okay, great. So I was fascinated when uh, I was reading What's Your Golden Egg? And it's sort of uh, the link to sort of uh, the Chinese reference there. So can you share with the listeners what the what the golden egg is? Yeah, great. So um, in Chinese, the word crisis is actually represented by two characters and they translate into two separate words, um, one being danger and the other being opportunity. So two very different perspectives. Um and I guess the thing about this is it shows that there's both a positive and a negative way to look at problems. So I'll often talk to people about problems and they'll say, don't talk to me about a problem. Problem's almost a dirty word for some people. It's like, let's just call it an opportunity. Uh, but I have a different perspective on that. And um, the the term golden egg was coined by Dr. Min Bassiter, who um, uh, is a creativity researcher who developed the term and I guess is a really positive frame for problems. And yes, we have lots of problems, but it's about trying to find our most valuable problems to solve. And uh, golden eggs is a way of, of looking at that. So of all the problems we've got, and particularly of our customer problems, which ones are the golden eggs? Which ones are the most valuable problems that we can solve? Hmm. And you talk about this idea of the value of finding customer problems and I thought that was interesting because in my experience, a lot of leaders are just necessarily focused on their problems and what they're facing, not necessarily what their customers are facing. Yes, um, absolutely. So I've developed a model around problem finding and you know, problem finding is really a skill. So the better you get at it, the, the more opportunities that you can identify for your organization. Um, so for those who, without being able to see the model, I guess the way to think about it is it's on a continuum. So as an organization, I often say to clients, where do you think you fit on this model? And we go from one end of um, the model being closed through to the other end of the model being curious. And there's six steps that fit along that continuum. Um, so as a current state, I say to organizations, where do you fit? And I'll talk through the, the, six, yes, the six stages. Um, so the first one I talk about is being ignorant. You're not even looking for problems. So um, organisations who sort of fit here, um, they really look at problems as a negative, it, you know, they've, they keep doing things the way they've always done them and um, they really only respond to problems when it's, it's forced upon them. Yeah. Um, and so organisations who fit here are really at risk of, disruption at risk of, of, of dying. Um, as we move from the next step along, I, I talk about these organisations as being lost. They're looking in the wrong place. So they might make some effort to look for problems, but often in the wrong places. So 
sometimes they're um, assumptions or anecdotes that filter it through the business are leading them astray. So they probably don't know as much as they think they do about their customers, their competitors, their operations, and that's blinkering their thinking. And so as a consequence, they're possibly losing share. We move, as we keep moving across, we, the next one's chaotic. Um, these are organizations who are really responding to everything. Um, again, they're only starting to think about or look at problems um, when they hit. And they're very reactive. So it's almost like, oh, we've got too many, but we're, we'll react to um, whatever comes along. So if you're a retailer, Amazon comes into the market, it's like, right, okay, let's do what they're doing. Um, the next one is um, careful. So searching carefully. So here, um, organizations are looking more proactively for problems. Um, but often it's within the current context. So it might be within their current offerings and their existing customers instead of looking more broadly. Um, the next one is about being, as we move across the continuum, being focused. This is where organizations start to uncover strong opportunities. Um, problem finding becomes embedded in the culture of the business. People are proactively identifying and sharing problems within, um, the, within the organization. And that's both understanding their current and potential customer problems. So it's really looking outside their even their current industry for opportunities. And finally, and this is really the holy grail, the last stage is being accomplished. This is organizations who are really identifying the future. They're, they're looking for problems with lead users, for example, or customers of tomorrow. Uh, you know, you could have a it's really about sort of understanding the needs, not just today, but what are the needs going to be, um, you know, in five or 10 years time. So anticipating those needs. Um, and, and these are the organizations who are really disrupting because they're really trying to look at the problems they can solve for the future. And in your experience, uh, how many organizations are at that spot? Not many. Yeah. Not many. Okay. No, I think, um, you know, when I talk to organizations, they're usually sitting somewhere in the middle okay. and they have aspirations to shift depending on the organization. Some want to shift, some need to shift pretty rapidly a lot further along the continuum, but there's not many that are sitting in that accomplished state. Mm. Yeah. It sort of makes you think about, you know, the what if more organizations were sitting on there. Mm. Mm. So you talk about this idea of future focusing your outlook. So being someone that is a very future focused person somewhat uh, personally, I recognize that a lot of leaders may find that a challenge. So talk to me a little bit about that. Mm. Um, the challenge, I guess, of organizations today is the pressure that's put on short-term results. So um, there's targets that they've got to hit, revenue, monthly, quarterly, right, we've got to hit the numbers. And... The, you know, in that short-term environment, um, there's always a deadline looming. So they're always chasing results. And what that does is it creates a culture of doing. And I talk a lot about our bias to action. Um, and so what happens is we're presented with a problem and our immediate sort of response to that is, well, let's go away and solve it. Uh, but but I guess the, the most important thing here is to make sure that um, – are we solving the right problem before we actually jump jump to action? So um, that problem finding 
you know, before problem solving comes problem finding. And that's very much a future skill. And curiosity is our tool to help us to um, really future proof our business and to make sure that we're not wasting time, money and resources on solving the wrong problems. Okay. So how do people determine which problems are the right ones? Yeah. So um, I guess there's a couple of ways that, that you can do that. So first of all, it's, it's starting with, well, what do we think the problem is? So first of all, um, if we're starting with an organizational problem, let's now look at what are the customer problems. And often there's not just one single problem. So it's about identifying the thread of all the problems. So uh, we might start with something, but it's really unpacking that to say, okay, well, what else? What else? What else? And we, we often do a, a, a problem mapping exercise where we map up all the possible problems and we look at the interrelatedness to them. So we'll say, okay, well, here's one problem. It's connected to this one and this one and this one. Now looking at all of these, um, which one is the most valuable? Sometimes we can do that through research by going to customers and, and quantifying how, how, what's their most valuable problem to solve. Um, other times it's pretty evident through other secondary sort of research and input. You can look at it and say, right, now that we've completely unpacked all of this, if we, if we actually solve this problem here, that's going to unlock and solve a number of other problems along the way. So okay. yeah, there's a couple of ways to do it. I really liked, uh, the, the, the little model you uh, provide in the book around customer insight. So, because I think it's, it's, it, it will help leaders understand their customers and try to step into their shoes a little more, which I think is something that's missing in the work that we do. So can you share with uh, the listeners your model around customer insight? Yeah, great. So an insight, um, for me, it's really something that inspires solution finding and there's three parts to it so the first one the first part of an insight is there's a fact so and the fact is an observation of how people behave or what they do um the second part to an insight is the need so it's an understanding of what sits behind that observation so uh it could be a functional need, a social need, an emotional need, um, any one of those three. And then finally, um, it connects itself with a problem. So uh, the problem could be an issue, it could be a frustration, it could be a challenge, but what it does is it causes a friction or a tension in someone's life. So through spending time with customers and stepping into their shoes, you should be able to really put together a number of insights that really adequately sort of summarise the behaviour of your of your customers. Um, and let me, I might give you an example yeah, if that's helpful do. to kind of put that into perspective. So um, in the book I talk about the taxi industry. So if we, if we kind of think about pre-Uber, um, a fact... A fact um, a fact about the taxi industry is I take a taxi to get to my destination. The need is I need to get there fast. But the problem is taxis are smelly. I never know if they're going to show up in time. And I waste time at the end of a trip paying and waiting for a receipt. So that's really the, the insight. Um, and so when you think about that, Uber, Uber as a solution um, really addresses the need and, and overcomes the friction. So when, when you write an insight well, it's really an invitation to solving a problem. Yeah. I, I never understand why in a taxi 
they won't give you the first copy of the receipt. They always give you the second one. I think, just come on, man. Just give me the first one. I know. And it's it's a micro moment, but yeah. you're like, I just want to get out of here. Yeah. I've got to get to my meeting yeah. or I've got to get, to, I've got a plane to catch. Yeah. And, and they still haven't, um, I was in a taxi the other day and he kept telling me, oh, have you used our app? Have you used our app? And I'm thinking, you're so far behind. I mean, the Uber app is just so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... I wanted a, at a high level to dig into these six uh, mindsets uh, that you've developed as, as part of this whole curiosity piece. So you're able to give the listeners a sort of high level overview of the six mindsets? Yeah. So uh, the six mindsets, um, the first one is the rebel. So, uh, and the question, I guess, is a self-assessment, a way to sort of think about this on a continuum is... Um, on a scale of zero to 10, um, how would you rate yourself? Where zero being uh, not at all and 10 being extremely. Um, as a rebel, how prepared are you to go out on a limb and seek a better way of doing things? So uh, the rebel is is somebody who speaks up, who um, challenges the status quo, who is willing to look at things from different perspectives, who is willing to embrace dissidents within an organisation to, to challenge um assumptions the ceo like the the rebel can be about challenging little things or big things um the second one is the zen master the zen master is all about um the the question is how often are you fully present the zen master is really about um being in the moment and not worrying about what's happened or where you where you're going for you to truly be curious you can only really be in the moment to do that The third one is the novice. How comfortable are you when you don't have all the answers? Uh, So, you know, within organisations and as leaders, as we get more um, senior within organisations, we are expected to be the expert. But that comes at a cost. Mm. It comes at a cost of our curiosity. It comes at a cost of our problem finding. It comes at a cost of our innovation. Uh, The next one is the sleuth. Uh, how likely are you to notice things beyond the obvious? The sleuth is really about um, listening with both your eyes and your ears. So we can sometimes just listen to the words, but there's a disconnect between what people say and what they do. And and so part of um, being curious and cultivating our curiosity is, is looking looking at the disconnects between those two things. The fifth one is the interrogator. How likely are you to ask questions that have never been asked before? And the interrogator is really about getting to the heart of the matter, getting to the why, um, being provocative and really trying to understand uh, what, what matters, what's going on, what matters to people. And the last one is the playmaker. How open are you to experiencing new things and learning through play? And this is not play for frivolous sake. It's play with purpose. So it's about um, using play as a tool to uncover uncover insight. Okay. Do you find in your work that people shift between mindsets or people have predominantly one type of mindset? Because I'm just doing a sort of self-assessment as you're talking through it. <laughs> so what sort of relationship between the mindsets within individuals? 
so what I do is I get people to give, do a self-assessment to see where, where their sort of strengths and weaknesses are. And everyone's different. So some people feel very well-rounded. Some people feel very skewed to different mindsets. And the thing that I encourage them to do is, um, particularly when we're trying to push their thinking, is to adopt a different mindset that they're not so comfortable with. So if you're somebody who um, is pretty comfortable being the sleuth and the interrogator, uh, and I had a workshop last week where this happened, and she said, I just don't know what to do. And I said, I want you to put the hat on of the rebel. I want you to think about your challenge from the perspective of the rebel. And she said, oh, oh, you know, that's not something that's comfortable for me. And I said, perfect. So that thought, that in enabled her to think about things from from a different perspective so everybody's different um, I encourage people to assemble teams with different mindsets because within an organization there's you know who the rebel is yeah. you know who who the one who's willing to challenge the status quo bring them into the room um, have have a room full of diverse diversity to look at things from different perspectives um, so as a team you can use it that way as an individual you can push yourself to adopt the mindsets that you may be not so comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think I'm a rebel. I think it fits my nature being a rebel. <laughs> being a rebel. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting because if you can think about the mindset that you're in it, and understand it, it makes it an easier transition to position yourself in a different one so you get that diversity and depth of thought, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And so for me, I struggle the most with the Zen master because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I love new information. And, and so I have to be very conscious of, right, Zen master, stop thinking about the next thing I've got to do or what else other stimulus is being put in front of me. Mm. I've got to be right in this, in this moment. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's, I think the more I think through it, there's actually quite a, quite a number of different applications for that sort of framework. Mm. So talk to me about elephants. Elephants. I love elephants. Um, we often have a conversation about the elephant in the room, or we don't have a conversation about the elephant in the room, but there is always an elephant in the room within every organisation. And it's interesting, and I talk about this in my book, there, I was in a meeting where a client said, um, there's an elephant in the room we're not allowed to talk about. And I said, oh, hey, give that to me. What is that? Let's talk about that. Um, and they were talking about a potential problem that was likely to disrupt their business in the next five years. Now, that is is a pretty big deal. And they were just sweeping it under the carpet. Now, I, I talk about my whole kind of, my tagline on my book is how to unearth your most valuable problem. Well, elephants are great places to start because if we can call out the elephant in the room, if we can use that as our frame as a problem to solve, then wow, imagine if we can we can solve that problem. Um, it, it, high, it creates potential, you know, enormous growth opportunities for, for us as an organisation. So, uh, you know, the, the question I pose to you is what are the elephants currently hiding in your organisation and, and pulling them out for everyone to talk about? Yeah, it's a valuable exercise because every every organisation has them, and uh, you're just making me reflect on, a, on one of our clients that I'm working with, and in the in the work that I'm doing across multiple groups, similar themes are starting to come out, and it's it's quite powerful when you can feed that back to the executive and say these are significant problems. What are we going to do about it? Mm. 
So you do provide a, a, a four sort of step framework for becoming a better problem solver, which I think is a critical skill for leaders at all levels. Mm. Uh, we do a lot of work in sort of the frontline and middle management level. And I think that quite often they don't necessarily feel empowered to find and solve the problems. And we always encourage them that they should be. So mm. can you share your, your sort of framework for that, please? Yeah. So there's, there's four parts to this. So the first one is um, being deliberately present, uh, which is about staying aware and awake to what's going on around you and within you. And I'm going to give you a stat around this. So Love we, stats. Good, excellent. We spend 47% of our waking day doing something while thinking about something else. Right. Wow. That's so a pretty high stat. <laughs> it, it is. So that being deliberately present, for us to be truly curious, for us to be better problem finders and problem solvers, we that you know, when, when half of our day we're not even tuned into what's going on, mm. it's so important. Mm. Um, the second one is becoming a single tasker. So, which is all about focusing on the task at hand, not several at once. So everyone goes, I'm a multitasker. Um, multitasking is a misnomer. And what we're actually doing is we're task switching. And again, the research shows that task switching can reduce our productivity by 40%. So in a seven and a half hour day, that's three hours of wasted time, mm. which is which is pretty big. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the third one is tuning out to tune in, and and so this is really practicing moments of stillness, and it can be as simple as pausing for a couple of minutes in your day to tune in and just notice your breath. So it can be as simple as that as a way for you to be able to tune into what's going on for you. And the final one, the fourth one, is, is really challenging yourself to be present. So um, on average, again, research has shown that we have um, 87 interruptions a day. And, and I think our screen time phone probably gives us um, more accurate data on that yeah. since that this research was yeah. done. And when we are interrupted from a task, it can take us upwards of 23 minutes to resume that task. So have you ever been um, writing a report in something deep, somebody messages you and you're like, what was I doing before that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and I think it's something like 18% of people don't resume the task to the next day. So, <laughs> which again is massive. So refrain from checking your phone, um, you know, challenge yourself to switch off, do not just, you know, put your phone on, do not disturb. You see so many people in meetings sitting there checking phones, laptops open. It's really impacting on your ability to um, be present, be a better problem finder and um, innovate as a result of that. Mm. Yeah, it really makes you think when you hear statistics like that about where you actually spend your time. and Because one of the common things every lady says, oh, I've got so much on, I'm so busy, can't get everything done. And if you think about all the wasted time. Absolutely. You, you have a phrase which I, in the book, which I uh, really liked. Uh, if you think you know everything, then you're never going to learn. And uh, I'd like to explore that a little with you. Mm. So the moment i mean and there's been research again that shows that when we are manipulated into thinking we're an expert we are 
um, more closed. So we think we have all the answers. We are not going to be curious. And, and um, so in order for us to activate our curiosity, we need to create a knowledge gap. Um, George Lowenstein, behavioural economist, says curiosity arises when there's a gap between what we know and what we want to know. And so the moment we think we know everything, we, we, we're not curious any longer. So um, it's a real shift in mindset because, again, as we get more senior leaders, are ex- they, they feel the need to be the expert. But true learning comes from assuming a beginner's mind, uh, being assuming the novice mindset. Um, and and I, I talk about, you know, the expert judges, the novice defers judgment, the expert answers questions, the novice asks questions. And, and a big challenge around um, moving from the expert to a novice mindset is uh, letting go of the ego <laughs> <laughs> because ego is a big part of that. And there's a you need to ha- show some intellectual vulnerability in order to... Um, truly be 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 the novice and to allow new information and create new space for 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 new learning Mm. yeah it's 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 interesting when you come across those individuals that sort of fit in that that mold of yep they know it all why do i have to learn this and and their their behavior doesn't really demonstrate that they do know it all but their ego tells them they do yeah and that's and that's hard that's a you know that's something as an individual as a leader you've got to be willing to 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 it there's a vulnerability that comes with that and until you're prepared to be vulnerable you're not truly going to expand the possibilities mm-hmm. so you recommend that there's a one of the key ways to uh, start to develop your your, I suppose, curiosity skill set is this idea of looking beyond the obvious. Mm. So how do people do that? So when we talk about observing, um, it's to notice or perceive something and register it as being significant. Um, whereas when we look at something, it's about gazing in a specified direction. And, and let me give you an example. When I arrived at your headquarters, yep. I walked up a set of stairs. Yes. So you would see those set of stairs every day. Yes. Do you know how many stairs are there? Uh, no idea. <laughs> no. So, so this, that's just a really simple example of you look at those stairs every day, but have you observed how many steps there are? Yeah. So my brain's told me I don't have to count them yes. somewhere along the lines. Yes. Yeah. And so part of that is, I guess, that looking beyond the – like it is it is an obvious thing, but it's getting deeper. It's it's really truly observing um, your customers, your operations, your competitors, rather than just gazing at, at, at what you see. Do you think that's where that whole idea of, you know, the fresh set of eyes phrase comes from? Quite often – People will bring in, you know, like an organisation like us and we'll say, well, why is that like that? And they'll say, oh, we've just never thought of it. We've always done it like that. Absolutely, yeah. And we um, we run a lot of um, creative sessions and we bring in um, external creatives and mash them up with clients. So mm-hmm. for that for that exact reason, to bring that, that fresh thinking into sessions. So because they'll sit there and go, well, what about this? Or why can't we do this? And they'll be like, oh, well, because we don't do it that way or we've never thought about that. So that absolutely having that, that um, you as an individual can impact on looking beyond the obvious and you can bring 
those fresh set of eyes to help you look at things differently as well. So I'm, I'm interested in exploring this idea of how people and how leaders challenge assumptions. Mm. And I'm probably interested in it from two, two angles. One is uh, the, the assumptions the leader has, but also just the organisational assumptions that tend to exist as part of a culture. So, so how do we start to challenge those? Yeah. Um, so at the start of every project, uh, one of the key questions I ask um, is what might you be assuming about the challenge that might or might not be true. And, you know, we will create a long, as long a list as possible in that exercise. Uh, and it's really useful because everyone has different assumptions, but those assumptions are guiding a lot of the decision-making that's happening um, throughout the process. And if we didn't start with that and call them out, because part of that discovery process is to challenge them, they might be true they might not and there's too much of this assumed knowledge that actually needs to get thrown out the window because it's there's no evidence behind it whatsoever so it's a simple exercise of asking that question at the start of a project can be incredibly useful uh, and it's making sure I guess all those the right people are in the room to get out of their heads what all those assumptions are yeah mm. in you speak about the idea of asking the right question. So how do we know what is the right question? Um, so there's not necessarily the right question. And I guess part of the sentiment around this is asking lots of questions. So um, there was a study done by a psychologist uh, back in 2007 who found that um, children between the ages of two and five ask one to three questions per minute. I, I've got a I've got a five year old. I tested this out, and he was sixteen questions in one minute. Um, he's my favourite question this week was, "Mom, why can't kids go to space?" <laughs> and I guess the part of this is that in school, kids are taught to um, to provide the right answer to questions, and and so we see question asking really peak once kids go to school and it drops off. So asking the right question, I guess, is really about asking lots of questions, thinking about lots of questions to ask rather than being focused on providing the answers. Um, and, and one of the people I interviewed for the book, Barb Hyman, I loved this question. So she, when, a, you know, kids come home from school, instead of saying, you know, what did you learn today? She says, um, you know, what questions did you ask at school today? So encouraging that, that, that question asking so as why is a great tool it's not the only question that can be unlock insight but um open-ended questions why how when is a really um wonderful i guess statement starters for us to unlock more insight to um really cultivate our curiosity hmm. well it sort of very much fits in with that uh that old uh oldie but a goodie problem solving tool of the five whys I mean mm. you know there's some real value when you dig deep into those, those questions isn't there absolutely and the other build on the five whys and so the five whys can keep going up and laterally mm. you can go down and say also say well what's stopping you so as a as a tool to to kind of unpack all of the problems that you you're looking to solve yeah so we mentioned earlier about sort of the high level 
uh, insight into the, the six mindsets. So what, what, what's your recommendation around how people go about taking that framework, those six mindsets? So they do the assessment that's in the book. So mm. in other words, listeners, I'm telling you, go buy the book so you can do the assessment. Uh, what can they do? How, what, what do they do with that information once they've got I, I kind of talk about curiosity um, like a muscle um, that you need to develop and exercise. I'm an ex-athlete, so I kind of think about there's a lot of metaphors in business with, with, um, with track and field. And, and it's something that it's not a one-off activity. So part of it is how do you um, build the muscles in the different mindsets? So you might be strong on a couple of mindsets, but over time um, you can build your muscles in some of those other mindsets. And uh, I would encourage people to pick one at a time uh, and to think about different things that they can do to help build, build their muscles in that, in that mindset, which will help them to cultivate their curiosity and to, to look at problems and challenges from, from different perspectives. Okay. And I suppose sort of the, the, the last question that sort of directly related to the book is this idea of where next. Mm. There's a, there's a, in, in the book, there's, that's the only two words on a page and it had me intrigued. So what's the where next? Um, the, the, um, the quote that I have at the front of that chapter actually is, not all those who wander are lost. Uh, by J.A.R. Tolkien. And I, I love that. I love that quote because, um, you know, sometimes people see curiosity as a bit of a negative in some organisations. It's like, oh, we don't have time for that. It's a time waster. People who are curious are going to be disruptive. Um, but, but actually, um, I guess as a learning journey, it can be incredibly um it can be a growth opportunity for you to go out there and continually cultivate your curiosity. So it can help you widen your perspective. It can help you be a better problem solver, problem finder within organisations. And it can um, give you access to experiences that you wouldn't have otherwise tried. So, you know, I'll often say to people, when was the last time you tried something for the first time? Mm. Mm, that's, good. that's a good question. So it was my Lexa soup that I tried to make. That would be the last thing I could think of. And so what I then I say to people, well, go out, what, try something you've never tried before. Hmm. Uh, because, again, it's, um, we know from research that trying something new not only helps us to cultivate our curiosity, it can also help to cultivate our creativity as well. So... Um, Try things new. Push yourself outside your comfort zone. Um, I mean, cr- curiosity isn't a one-off activity. Like I said before, it's like a muscle that we need to work on and develop. Um, but there can be uh, enormous rewards personally at a team level, at an organizational level for us um, by take you know going on a curiosity journey. Hmm. So are there any books or people that inspire you? Uh, I, I, I read a lot, I like I, people step into my office and they're like, whoa, cause I've got this massive bookshelf with lots of books. <laughs> so we probably don't have the time for me to, to read through them. I, I mean, I get inspiration everywhere. So I, I love consuming, um, new books. It might be only a sentence that I take away from something that 
is is really interesting and make makes me deep dive. And I I love kind of seeing reading um, business books, but equally uh, going into journals and finding this, looking at the science that sits behind some of the different theories as well. Um, I've had I've I've um, had great um, experience training under a number of different people across the world. Um, and so people like Dr. Ambassador has been a huge, you know, um, mentor, inspiration for me in some of the work that I do. But there's this huge kind of creative community that I'm tapped into as well and I collaborate with constantly. So it is not a single book person. It's just it's a constant stream of, of inspiration. Okay. And if people want to know more about you and the specific work that you do, mm-hmm. where should we send them? Um, they can find me at agentsofspring.com uh, or LinkedIn, Yvette Cordy. Okay. So any last words on leadership and curiosity that you'd like to share? I think um, the final thing I probably would share is that uh, leaders, the, the biggest gift that you can give to your employees, your teams, um, is permission to be curious. Mm because some people don't feel like they have that permission. And, you know, as I said before, there's three benefits individually, physiologically, releases dopamine in our brains when we're curious, leads to better um, team performance. And as an organisation, we become better problem finders and better problem solvers. So it leads to innovation opportunities. All right. Well, on that note, Yvette, thank you so much for being a part of the Syngen Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps up episode 75 of the Syngen Leadership Podcast, another great author interview episode. I'd like to encourage you to head on over to Syngen Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked about the episode, tell us who you'd like us to interview, or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to put together. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free, head on over to the Apple site and leave us a review. It really does help us build awareness of the podcast. In next week's episode, I have another great author interview for you where I chat with Gabrielle Dolan, author of Real Communication, How to Be You and Lead True. It's another great author interview episode. Until then, love to hear what you think and happy listening.